Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. I am one of your hosts. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman. You, I, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And Merry Christmas to everybody and uh, hope you have a great new year. And one other thing I wanted to mention, we do have a website, reachingthesummitpodcast.com. We have several writers that write for each Summit League team, so check us out there. And a new Facebook page that you can find by searching Facebook under Reach Summit Pod. So a couple other areas you can find us as well. Uh, So this week is the last week before Summit League play starts. And we only have a couple of games on Tuesday, and then we're, we're off until the weekend which is Summit League play. So we thought this week we would start by going through our power power rankings, starting at nine, going to one, talking a little bit about each team, whether we feel like that's where they're going to end the year or what they need to do to move up or down or what could happen, how they could move down. And then we'll go to, we have a whole bunch of questions from the fan message boards on uh, different sites. Um, So we'll go through those as well. So number nine in our power rankings last week was Denver. And gentlemen, is that where you think Denver's going to end up? What do they need to do to move higher in the in the rankings? And, and how do they end up where they are on our power rankings right now? I think, um, you know, in comparison to the other teams here, I think they've played one of the lighter schedules. Um, so if you're actually looking at, at their win-loss record, um, I believe they have some injury concerns. Now, did, has anybody gotten any updates on any of their injuries? I think there was two of them that popped up. I, I tried to do some some checking yesterday and today. Uh, jo- the only thing I've heard is Robert Jones got hurt on the tip-off, um, and it looked like a knee injury, and he wasn't able to put any weight on it. So they're not the people that I spoke with were not hopeful that they would have much from him. And then Tristan Green has missed the last two games with an ankle injury. Yeah, so, so to me, obviously, um, those would be some pretty significant steps in the wrong direction uh, for Denver, who's, who is um, – you know, finding pieces, they're finding some things that they can rely on, but ultimately probably aren't there yet. Um, try not to get too carried away with, with any criticisms of them as, like I said, their, their schedule has been a little different than everyone else's. Um, but I think they're probably appropriately ranked for right now. I think that's a good observation, Zach. I, you know, and, and it's not a criticism just to say, you know what, they haven't shown a propensity to, to start moving up in the, in the standings. When I look at eight and nine, Denver and Kansas city, uh, I think Kansas city's probably played a fairly light schedule also. And uh, those two teams have yet to show, you know, their ability, I think to, to compete against the higher level teams in the league. Uh, but as, as we said, you know, however the schedule plays out, uh, do they get some momentum? Uh, you know, can they find a way to get a sweep against an upper division team on their home floor? We'll see what happens. But I, I honestly think Denver, um, they, they just haven't shown an ability to move up yet. And I think it's going to be difficult for them against a, a league that I think has some teams that are capable of being pretty good night in, night out. Well, and they hadn't shown much already. And now with Green and potentially Jones out for some time, that's their entire starting front court. So I just don't see, unless those guys are back faster than than we're hoping, it's going to be a rough, especially start to the conference play for them. And, and Jones, with his even with his size, is really an energy guy. 
and he needs to have some pop. He needs to have some, you know, an ability to move around and, and be effective from an athletic standpoint. And, and if he's hobbled in any way, shape or form, I think that severely inhibits his ability to contribute consistently uh, for Denver. Yeah, he was really one of their bright spots. He was really probably a cornerstone piece for what they're trying to build there. And so if he's out for any given per- period of time, it's probably back to the drawing board in terms of style of play even. So. Well, and their one reserve big man, Frank Ryder, uh, transfer from Colorado, has done some things when he comes in, but he's also left two games with a recurring shoulder injury. So even the depth in the front court is is a problem with Denver. Yeah, there may be there may be no coach more eager to see twenty twenty behind him than 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 Rodney Billups. So we'll we'll see how it goes. And, and you know what? I I hope they're competitive. I think that Rodney Billups is a heck of a coach. I hope he can find a way to continue to improve his team over the course of the season, and uh, and we'll see what happens. So we go from one team that I know hasn't won a Division One game yet. Denver's win was against a D2 team. I Kansas City has four wins. I was going to look it up while you guys were talking, and then I didn't do that. Um, but I don't think they've beaten a Division One team. I think it's been all Division Two and and other opponents, unless I'm misremembering. But we have Kansas City at eight in our rankings. Where do you guys think they'll finish the year? Well, it's it's a little hard for me to get a read on them. Like you said, I you know th- their schedule has been very different than than pretty much the rest of the league. As we talked about last week, the 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 now infamous doubleheader that that they played uh, in the same day, um, they they did fairly well against the Summit League last year, and their win loss record wasn't necessarily great, but they had good results against this conference, and so we're really kind of dealing with an unknown quantity here. I'm trying to take in all the contextual clues. I haven't had a chance to watch them a whole lot. I really have to dig into them more this week, uh, obviously, as, as they have UND that first weekend. Um, but I, I'm trying not to get too carried away with the record at this point because they were better than their record showed, particularly against the Summit League last year. Um, they, they did have a good amount of roster turnover, things like that. And so I'm trying to get a feel for the personnel as well. But um, I, I don't I don't know. I don't want to be too definitive on what my thoughts are on Kansas City at this point because there's there's a lot of factors and it's really hard to know how it's going to come together at this point for me anyway. I'm there with you, Zach. I, I do think one thing that Coach Donlin will do is get his guys to guard. Um, it's always, you know, if he's focusing on that, I do think they can wreak some havoc defensively if he gets them all on the same page. So that's that's always scary when you go against a team that can mess you up on the defensive end. Um, McKissick seems to be the one constant on the offensive end, but uh, we'll see what happens. Their, their early season schedule, you know, uh, uh, everybody has unique early season schedules, very few with home games. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think Kansas City right now, they're going to have to do a lot of work to work their way up the standings, put it that way. If they end up in number eight, hey, that's all it takes is, is four days in, in, in March um, and, and to get on a roll. But uh, that's a big. It's a big difference between eight and nine in the Summit League as of right now. Greg, I think that's a good point. I wouldn't be shocked to see Kansas City pass some of the other teams we have a little higher on the on the rankings. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that there is a gap between eight and nine, um, and maybe even five to eight and nine or something like that. Um, and McKissick is a really good piece, the senior guard, and then uh, jo- Josiah Alec. Is an is a nice piece as well. Um, 
Marvin Nesbitt has missed some games, and then Hitty Rosink also has missed a few games with a knee injury. So some important depth pieces that they're missing. So it may come down to whether those guys are back quicker uh, than later. Yeah, I think in a year that, you know, we're all trying to grasp and try to find the silver linings of things, um, you know, for them to find a home in the Summit League, uh, which I think is a very good conference, and I think it could be a long-term solution for them. Um, and for them to make the conference tournament and be a part of everything in in uh, Sioux Falls, I think would be a really big step forward for their organization, their their program, just everything for, for them just to have uh, like a long-term plan for their program and, and feel like they're a part of everything. I think that's a big deal. I don't think that should be discounted really at, in, in a year where sometimes it's kind of hard to find the positives. I think that would be a big one for them. I know they have higher aspirations for that, but um, I do think that alone is a big deal, in my opinion. So on to number seven, actually a team that has jumped from our initial rankings to to where they are now, Western Illinois comes in at seven right now. Where do you guys feel Western Illinois? Is that seven seem about right, or could they be up a few more or down a couple by the end of the year? Well, I'll, I'll just jump in. I, I see Western Illinois. Um, I don't think they're going to be lower than seven. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. I think uh, Coach Sheeters has, has assembled some talent. Um, again, complete roster turnover. I can see them anywhere from seven to four, to be honest with you, depending on how he can get these guys to to buy in and uh, and play together as a group, which is, is difficult this year when you, when you don't know how many practices you're going to get on the floor or whether or not you're going to play a game. But I think uh, – I think he's assembled a, a, some talent, and I think they're going to be a very capable team. It's going to be interesting because North Dakota State's at Western Illinois to start the season, you know, two games back-to-back. And, and uh, North Dakota State, who is a, a lower-possession team, you know, one of those where they're hard to come back on, but it's also hard for them to come back on other people. And so if Rob Jeter can have his guys ready to go, and if they can jump out and play from ahead, that, that gives an experienced team. Well, even though NDSU's you know, they may say there's some, they're, they have some young guys and they do that they count on, but they have an experienced core. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a challenge for them to see if, can they get out and, and not allow Western to gain confidence early, especially in that opening conference weekend. So I think Western Illinois does have potential. I see them at seven or above, to be honest with you. Yeah, I do agree. I, I, I think their floor is probably that seven, that seven range right there. Uh, we've talked, uh, they, they have talent. They have some nice players. Um, it, at first, it kind of seemed like a hodgepodge of players, but it looks like it's coming together. They seem to be, you know, improving with every outing, and that's really what you want to see. Um, course, of course, coaches will talk about wins and losses, and that's incredibly important too. But progress, especially for a team like Western, who is really trying to learn on the fly, and trying to figure out roles on the fly. And, you know, if there's ever been a team that's needed a, a, non, a, a really great non-conference schedule, an off-season, a preseason, things like that, it's this Western team. And they didn't have it. And so they're significantly disadvantaged coming into this year. But they seem to still be accomplishing the things that you'd want to see any team accomplish in the non-conference schedule. So I, I do agree. I, I think a lot of the major concerns with them have been somewhat mitigated at this point, you know, in terms of them just, you know, all of a sudden putting these pieces together and they just absolutely do not fit. I think they do fit. Um, it's just a question is, you know, how far do they, do they progress down their, their path here? So um, it's been fun to watch. I mean, you can tell coach Jeter can, 
he has an eye for for talent and he has a uh, the ability to put the right pieces together so it's just a question of how much progress do they make given the situation that they're in before the conference tournament rolls around well, and for me, at the beginning of the year, it seemed clear they were the bottom team in the conference. You put an entirely new team together. As you start to look at it, like you said, Greg, it, do I really think that they're that much worse than North Dakota or Omaha or even South Dakota? It doesn't seem that way. And it all, it could shake any direction as you put these things together. But the, Will Carius, the Division Three transfer, he he can flat out shoot. He's over forty percent from three point six foot seven, two hundred and twenty plus pound player. Um, Justin Brookins, another guy who put thirty seven up in a game earlier this year. And I think the biggest thing for Western from last year to this year, if they got down ten points last year, they're going to lose by twenty seven. It they it just was done, and they weren't going to play defense. The team, they don't stop playing this year. And and you can tell they're they're coached. And, and I think they're the positive that they have putting together a team semi on the fly is it's reasonable to expect they'll get better this season as the season goes along. I'm in complete agreement with you. All right. So at number six, we have Omaha, who's actually down a few spots from the beginning of the year rankings. I think we had them as high as four. Where do you guys think they are at the end of the conference season? I think, um, like we had talked at the beginning, tiers, right? And I think this middle tier uh, of UND, USD, and Omaha is probably the most interesting to me. Um, and we may have to start including Western in that tier. Uh, we'll see how things look after a week or two. Um, but Omaha, you know, they, they returned a good amount. Uh, Ruffin got hurt. Uh, the guard play probably hasn't been what we thought it would be. Um, but Tut's been playing pretty well on the block as well. So this is what we talked about, you know, th- this kind of unprecedented break before conference tournament starts. I'd say nobody needs it more than maybe Omaha because they have some questions to answer. Um, I think they have the players to get it done. I'm just kind of curious to see what their style, what their approach is coming into this conference season because I, I doubt I, I know they're going to make some adjustments I mean you know Darren Hansen you, you don't coach the, you don't coach this long and win this many games without being able to make some good adjustments and so I know it's coming I just don't know exactly what they're going to do you know their initial approach it is it wasn't exactly working out but again it wouldn't surprise me for them to make an adjustment and all of a sudden they're at fourth or something like that um, so but they're a little vulnerable at this point um, but they have uh, a lot of things that they know and they're trying to figure out the rest. So, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think you make some good points, Zach. One of the things I look at Omaha, uh, Matt Pyle has not been playing at the level that, that everybody, you know, has become accustomed to from a Matt, Matt Pyle, you know, stuffing the stat sheet, you know, when it comes to rebounds and field goal percentage and his ability to finish at the same time, when you look at Pyle and Tut, two guys who are really good on the block, and I think maybe Omaha is looking at, you know, the, their guard play not coming close to the production that they had last year with two dynamic guys. And so does all of a sudden Darren Hansen, who's always played high possession basketball, and, and actually they've, they've done a pretty decent job of taking care of the ball while playing high possession basketball, does he become a, a, a team that becomes more half-court oriented and really focuses on getting post touches and utilizing the strength of this team as it appears to be now? which, you know, could be let's get Pyle more touches, you know, in the half court. Let's let's get him some confidence, get him going, keep him close to the basket. And the same thing with Tut. 
Is that something they do? Um, I, I, I'm, an, an, I'm in agreement with you guys in that middle tier right now with USD, UND, Omaha, and Western. I think Omaha can finish anywhere, you know, from four to seven. Can they get up into three? Of course they can when we talk about Darren Hansen and his longevity and his ability to adapt. But I, I don't think it's going to be if – they, if they move up the rankings, I don't think it's going to be a style of play that we're accustomed to from Omaha. And, and believe me, I, I can be proven wrong, and, and, and more times than not, I usually am. But I think you, you might be looking at a team that in Omaha that might be more half-court than what they've been in the last you know five, six, seven years. So it'll be interesting to see – how they utilize their strengths, how do they how they utilize their talent, and how they find a way to creep up those standings. I think teams whose best players aren't necessarily the the creators and the facilitators, um, kind of like UND, kind of like Omaha. I think they can be very vulnerable because those are teams that you can scheme for. You know, Matt Pyle to a large extent is beholden to his guard play. The better the guard play for Omaha is going to be the better the production for Matt Pyle is going to be. And it's kind of the chicken or the egg situation for them. And so, um, like I said, they have some questions to answer um, and, and, and some, you know, they, they have some hard decisions to make, I think. Um, but like I said, they have a lot of good players there. It's just a question as to how they all want to put it together, I think. And I will echo that, Zach. I've, I've always believed this. Guard, good guard play can make average post players good. Poor guard play can make good player, good post players bad. It's depending on where you get them the ball, the timing, and things like that. I've always thought guard play is extremely, extremely important uh, to the success of any team that wants to have um, a run in the postseason. So we'll see how it works out. Uh, can Darren Hansen get his uh, guard play up to what he's used to having? It'll be a challenge for him. Completely agree. Well- and one of the reasons we had them as high as four or three in the in the power rankings to start the season is we felt players would step in to the roles that Gibson and Robinson had last year. And that really hasn't happened. It, Ruffin and Akinwale are good players. And so maybe it isn't even on them. I mean, Ruffin has missed a couple of games with injury and then has been a little slow since coming back. Akinwale is kind of the same player he was last year, but the guys – stepping in to, to fill their roles. It's just no, none of the newcomers have shown anything that special as far as I've seen. And, and so it's kind of that domino effect. And, and Greg, to your point, pile is down 8% on his, on his field goal percentage this year. And to your point as well, Zach, if you don't have the guards that can hurt you on putting extra defenders on pile, his percentage is going to go down and people and teams aren't going to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. All right, so number five, we have North Dakota, and I will tell both of you, um, the most feedback I've gotten from people on Twitter and other places, it are people feeling like our North Dakota ranking is too high. Um, are they right? Or do we have them right where they should be? Or where do you think they finish out the year? They've been um, uh, an interesting team because they've had some definite ups and downs, right? I, I think... I can understand why people think that they may be a tad overranked because they've had some poorer showings. You know, they, they had the Dixie state game, uh, you know, the, the Southern Illinois game wasn't necessarily inspiring, you know, so it's, it's understandable. It's understandable. And we're kind of trying to balance, you know, the talent that we see with kind of how good they're playing at that time 
And um, so that's good. I, I'm glad people are disagreeing with us. Debate's good. There, there is plenty of room for discussion on these on these rankings by 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 any means, especially at this point in the year where all these teams have played much different schedules. But um, yeah, I mean, much like Omaha uh, and some of these other teams, I think it's going to come. It, there are some questions around guard play. Um, there are some talented players. There are players that I think are going to be very good. I, I, I really think Anacho is going to be a tremendous player by the time the third or fourth year rolls around. Um, but as a true point guard uh, leading his team, you know, in the conference against a lot of really good players, uh, is he going to consistently be there? Yeah. Freshmen are notoriously inconsistent. I remember what I was like when I was 18, I was just inconsistent in just kind of all facets of life. Right. You just kind of, it takes a little bit to mature and you have to go through the, the, the battles to kind of get to that point. Phil Probaccio was the same way. He was a little inconsistent as a freshman. Now as a junior, he's kind of battle hardened and understands the standard that you have to play to every game. And it just takes a little bit to get to that point. So how long that takes to get to that point is really the question that we're worrying about now with them. Um, they, they have some nice players. They're competing hard. Um, you know, I'd put Paul Saylor up against anybody in terms of a game plan and making adjustments things like that. They're going to be well coached. He has his fingers on the pulse of his team. And so I have no doubt that they're going to be put in the best possible situation and and position for success. Um, But it's, it's fair to ask some questions of them right now because they've been a little inconsistent. They haven't necessarily been one of those teams that every single game, they take a little step forward, right? You know, we've kind of seen some steps forward and a couple steps back and a couple steps forward and a couple steps back. And again, that's what you get when you have a young team, but the game against South Dakota, very good. Um, and, and they had some other good showings too. So um, it, again, th- that's why I kind of look at it more as like a tier rather than them being fourth or fifth. It's just sort of they're in the middle tier somewhere at this point. That's all the more certain I can be at this point. Th- those are good observations, Zach. And the funny thing from my standpoint, when I look at their pieces, I don't think they're ranked too low. I mean, I don't think they're ranked too high. Excuse me. I think they're pretty good. I, I, I still, I, when I look at Robracha as one of the best bigs in the league, bottom line, um, I look at uh, Urbana Vicius, who, who is, continues to show some production off the bench. Um, and, and, and there are other bigs. I think they're solid there. I think Iannaccio can be really good. And I think that's one of the things that, that Paul Sather is going to take some pride in is, is helping him play to his strengths. I love his ability to defend. I love his ability to switch late and in ball screen situations and get, um, you know, get, get matched up on another, on a big and have to guard up. I think they have a lot of room for improvement. And I do think that as Desha- Deshaun Allen Eikens comes back from his injury, gets closer and closer to hundred percent, they become, they become difficult to guard. So I, 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 I don't think they are too high, to be honest with you. I think they're solidly in that middle tier, and I think they're, to be honest with you, I think they're going to be solidly towards the top of that middle tier. Yeah, to well, me, it, it you know we've only seen them basically without Deshaun Allen Eikens, and he's he should be probably at least their second best player, and he should probably be a fringe All Conference player, and so to to have a young team without really one of their most experienced guys coming back, even though he's a sophomore is a big, big deal. Um, and how he comes back and in the, in the manner that he's integrated and the role that he has is obviously by far and away the biggest question that we have about them. 
And, you know, and maybe in some ways it was a blessing to kind of go through all these games without him. I think he's a known quantity. I think that the rest of the pieces on the team were a lesser known quantity to an extent. And so to bring him back, you know, hopefully this time, you know, they were very careful with him. They didn't rush him back, played in the first game against Southern Illinois, not the second. Hopefully he's 100% back, healthy, confident. He's had a chance to scrimmage. He's had a chance to test it. You know, he's not trying to reintegrate himself on the fly. And they can really kind of hit the reset button on the situation. They understand the rotation and everything. And then they can just go forward with him being a part of the equation because, it, you know, they need him. They, they need that type of dynamic athlete provide the outside shooting you know he knows what it's like to go through this conference he's a very very valuable part of this team you know one quick addition i think sabian sims is underrated as a player i think that kid is going to have a heck of a of a a run in the summit league not only this year but but the following year as well I, i really like his versatility and his ability to contribute offensively so i i like the upside of und put it that way well, and I don't really have anything else to add. I was going to add that that they've only had one game with Sean Allen Eikens. He played in a second game, but it was clear he was not ready to come back yet. Um, and so it's, I think both of you are spot on that that there's we could see a lot better from North Dakota going forward than we have um, at other times this year. And Zach, a really good point on the fact that Allen Eikens being out might help and. Ayanacho or even a Sabian Sims on just getting more reps and more opportunity to grow and develop uh, yeah, with the team. It's very possible, you know, Deshaun Allen Eikens being out really pushed along the development of Ethan Bonago, Sabian Sims, guys that are going to be really important to what they do this year, but ultimately may not have been playing as much as they have because he's been out. And so, you know, all those guys are going to be very important. It just comes back. It just comes back to what level Deshaun Allen Eikens come back at once he's healthy and out there. If he's the same old Deshaun Allen Eikens, they could have a nice little team. They could actually kind of look a lot like NDSU uh, personnel-wise and just flexibility on defense, that sort of situation. But we'll see. So number four in our rankings, we have South Dakota. And I will say that there is no team. I, I'm the only person that gets to look at all 12 people that send in the power rankings. There is no team that can be more up and down in different people's power rankings. And that might be a, a feeling that fans around the league have with South Dakota. We have them at four. Is that where you guys sort of see them finishing or where, where do you see the coyotes? They're probably the toughest to rank because, you know, they, they could probably beat anybody and lose to anybody. You know, they have, they have, yeah. they have the one player in the conference that can go and win a game on his own. There's probably isn't another player in the conference that you can say that about. And he's demonstrated that uh, against the best team in the conference. And so it's hard to rate them lower than four when they've probably had the most impressive game year to date in the conference against a, a light competition in, in, in the SDSU game. So um, they seem to be coming together. You know, I, I think they've kind of solidified, I think probably the shooting guard spot, maybe a roll off the bench. Um, but they, they, they have the game wrecker, right? They, they have the trump card. They have the ace up their sleeve, whatever you want to, whatever cliche you want to use, they have it. And in any one game situation, they should feel pretty good about that. I mean, basketball, it's, it's one loss by players. And to have the best player is a fantastic place to start, and it's hard to argue against. 
Yeah, and, and by the way, Zach, I give you a lot of credit for not really coaching a lot. You threw out a ton of cliches there, so I give you a ton of credit <laughs> for matching coaching. I, I, have, cliches. I have to use cliches when I don't really know what I'm talking about. And I just have to throw <laughs> something out that everybody else has said, and so it's like, okay, you know. Well, that explains why I use a lot of cliches, and I still yeah. <laughs> But USD, in my opinion, um, when you look at a Mude, uh, yeah, one of the top, you know, three, four players in the league without question. Uh, I also love Plitzel White. I, that kid is, is one of the best point guards in the league. In, in a year where a number of key perimeter players had to be replaced, nobody did a better job of bringing in uh, a primary ball handler and decision maker than having A.J. Plitzel White sitting out last year at USD and stepping in this year. I think he's going to be very impactful for this team. How do they fill in around him? That's going to be interesting to find out. Um, I do think they're – that they will struggle offensively at times, without question, unless Amude is going for 25 and Plitzweiss going for 18. Um, and I also know that the junior college guys are gonna they're gonna get their feet underneath them. Um, I've always thought the junior college guys you have to throw out their first semester and and really gauge their 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 true impact by what they do in the second semester on how much they buy in. And and Coach Lee has an opportunity with with those kids out of Arizona, they can step in and make an impact. And you also look at Arshembo, his ability to shoot. So I think there, there's still a ton of unknowns. Their potential, um, that their potential upside is, I think, around that four-three position. But I also think if they struggle, they can finish lower um, than four without question. So that's where I'm at. Um, I, they've got some known commodities, and it's going to be interesting to see how they they shake out. I'm I'm a, probably a little surprised. I would have thought they were more around the five or six. When you look at the preseason power rankings, but four is certainly doable for USD if they get some uh, get a lot of guys on the same page. Well, and I'm one of those people. One of the things that's hard for me is it's hard for me to get too excited about USD because I thought they drastically underperformed last year with the group of seniors that they had. And so going into this year, I didn't think very highly of them. So sometimes you wonder if your brain tells you you want to be right. And so I, I almost look for them to, to be worse because I expected them to be worse. And then I still see things like when they went up against UND and they don't double Rebracha as he's going for 26 points, I, there's just some baffling decision-making and things like that. And then on the other side of it, you watch them play SDSU and Amude just dominates. Like there was nothing anyone could do about it. So could they finish fourth? Sure. Could they finish seventh and still run to the conference tournament final? Yeah. It's, it's just one of those teams that I, I don't love ever since last year when I thought they, they had a potential to win the conference. Um, and so maybe some of my own bias is going into some of that. Well, they'll be fun, right? Like they're going to be an interesting team to watch. They're sort of the spice of the conference this year, right? I mean, if everything was just a plus B equals C, you know, there wouldn't be anything for us to talk about. There wouldn't be a whole lot of debate. My guess is there we're going to be talking about them quite a bit this year. So at number three, we've got North Dakota State. Uh, the, North Dakota State and Oral Roberts have flipped back and forth um, the entire season are our weekly power rankings. And typically, uh, Oral Roberts jumps ahead when they play close to a high major team. And then North Dakota jumps ahead when they play close to a high major team. Uh, where do you guys see North Dakota State finishing? Well, I, I really, I'm really curious as to what the rotation is going to be. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think Sam Griesel is becoming more comfortable 
as the point guard because he seems to be getting a little bit more aggressive. And I think the more aggressive he becomes, the better version uh, of this NDSU team they become because that is kind of the concern with teams that have played at a more deliberate pace. It's like, okay, we were playing deliberate, but it's because we're going to get a good shot, a really good shot. We're, we're trying to get a good shot, not just we're taking time off the clock. And so I think we're going to know how good this NDSU team is going to be by what type of shot they're getting after being deliberate on offense. And so um, I, I think they have a pretty good idea of who they are. I, I think defensively, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, their ability to, sw- to switch the ball screen, for example, like if you think about them matching up against Earl Roberts and the ability to trap or switch all ball screens is going to be a big deal against playing a team like that. Um, and, and even SDSU, the, the ability to, to match up uh, in different ways against them, I think it's going to be very important. So um, NDSU, I, I think they're, they're, they're getting close. And the way Sam Grace has been playing lately has really given me a lot of encouragement because I was concerned that they were just going to be that team that kept every game close but couldn't make the plays down the stretch. And that may not be the case anymore. Well, and I'm going to jump in quick, Greg, before you uh, answer. We did have a couple questions from the the North Dakota State message board, so maybe you guys can can add as as you go here. Um, any news on Carter? And then after Carter returns, do you guys see Greasel still at the point or off the ball? Um, seems like a decent time to talk about that. Those are good questions, and Todd. And I'm going to go back to kind of you know tack on a little bit to what what. Zach was talking about. I do think NDSU is an exceptional defensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got great versatility. Uh, they're, they're coached well. Uh, they defend well in the half court. As you mentioned, Zach, their ability to switch, have guys guard up if they have to. But the guys that are guarding up are, are uh, Jackson Notek at 6'6", and Edie at 6'5", and 210. Um, you know, a Greasel at 6'6", and about 220. They, they've got great versatility. So I think they're always going to be sound defensively. When you go back to Griesel as a primary ball handler and, and decision maker, I think he's getting, um, I'll, again, you already addressed this, uh, he's getting much more comfortable uh, knowing when to push. And I think one of the things they can do, sometimes people think, well, Vinny Shahid has to push the ball up the floor you know, as fast as he can. Sometimes you can advance it with the pass and find guys in transition and not rely on the dribble all the time. And I think that's what San Griesel brings is that versatility and that understanding of the game. I think I've consistently ranked them number two uh, behind NDS behind, excuse me, SDSU at this point, Carter has been in warmups. He has been going Hmm. through the layup lines, things along those lines. How far away is he? I don't know. And it might be one of those situations where Dave, I, I have a feeling Dave Richmond will work him in, in the, in, in the manner in which he can see him being the most successful. Uh, I look at McKinney as the true freshman out of Raytown. He's, he's logged a lot of minutes early on, and I think he's gaining, gaining some understanding of the game as well as far as what Coach Richmond expects out of him. Uh, the other kid that, that just jumps to mind is, is Grant Nelson, 6'10 mm-hmm. kid out of Devil's Lake. I think this kid can, can potentially be a matchup nightmare. Now, granted, he's a, he's a true freshman. But he's shown flashes. Um, he doesn't lack for confidence. And I think as he gets more and more comfortable, this NDSU team, 
Um, to be honest with you, I'll, I'll just say it. they have a potential to challenge South Dakota State for the conference championship and for the Summit League championship, the Summit League tournament championship. I, I like their pieces. I really do. Jarius Cook maybe is the kid who's taken the biggest leap for me. I was concerned about him in the first five or six games. I thought he had a, a real hesitancy about him and, and an inability to recognize when he should be aggressive and when he should contribute. My thought is over the last three or four games, I've really been pleased with how he has understood where his opportunities are because he's an explosive player. Yes, he can shoot it from the outside, but his ability to get into the paint, not only create for himself, but his teammates, um, is, is I think, what his strength is. And he's starting to play to his strength much more so. That makes North Dakota State a more, much more difficult team to guard. So I, I like their pieces. I really do. They're a unique team. Uh, from what we've seen in the past two or three years in the Summit League. But at the same time, as long as they're taking care of the ball, they're always going to be sound defensively, and they're going to get after it on the glass. I like the pieces for North Dakota State. I think they're a top-two team in the league. I think, you know, so I would look at it this way. Obviously, so SDSU is the measuring stick for this league, right? I think NDSU, by far, actually, stands the best chance of guarding SDSU the best. Um, I, I think they can match up by far the best and teams are going to have some interesting decisions to, to make in terms of how they want to guard NDSU and NDSU maybe not didn't do a ton of this in the, in the non-conference maybe it's because they don't want to show their hand or whatnot, but you know, we did see Tyree Edie post up quite a bit, but I love it when guards post up. If you get a guard that knows how to operate in the post, that can be a big big problem to deal with because post don't or guards don't work on their post defense and it's a great way to get into to the bonus and a great way to get some easy buckets and things like that especially down the stretch and whoever's playing against NDSU there's probably going to be at least one matchup problem right you're because you're probably going to play a point guard and I don't see how a point guard on any of these other teams are going to be able to guard NDSU's guards in the post, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so if you want to match up and put a little bigger guy on Tyree Edie, that's probably a good idea. But then you're going to have 6'6", Sam Greasel, probably be guard, being guarded by a 6'1 guy or a 6'2 guy. Or does Max Aismas try to guard Sam Greasel? Or mm-hmm. where do they hide him on defense, for example? You know, things like that. I mean, Noah Friedel is going to have to guard one of these guys probably in the post. How does that go for long stretches of time? Does that kind of take his energy away from the offensive? You know, things like that. So, like, NDSU really has some interesting angles to be able to play this year in terms of how they match up. And my guess is they probably get pretty game plan specific with how they attack some of these teams because it's all, you know, uh, these basketball games are like like heavyweight fights, right? It's all about matchups, and it's all about the angles, and it's which matchups are you going to try to exploit. And I think NDSU has some really nice cards to play. Um, and I can, you can kind of, as you kind of look through some of these matchups, you're like, man, you know what? Maybe maybe NDSU ends up being one of the harder teams to guard in a very atypical way. And then on defense, you probably feel as good about NDSU as you do SDSU. Maybe maybe a little better because they have a little bit more size. They're going to be able to rebound a little bit better. I don't know. I mean, maybe you can talk yourself into NDSU being the team. Uh, yeah. I don't know. 
and and Todd, I'm just going to jump in quick. I'm going to answer one of the questions, if you don't mind, where they yep, said, go ahead. you know, uh, does doesn't seem NDSU has a go-to guy. Does a team need one? What NDSU will have is a go-to scheme because uh, I'm going to tack on to a lot of what Zach just talked about. They may get into a quick ball screen where they know the opposition is going to switch and they may roll a bigger offensive player into the post. They will they will go to the guy that, that gives them the best matchup. Is it is it is it uh, the big kid, you know, Rocky Cruiser, catching and facing at 16 feet and going by a guy that can't stay in front of him? Is it Sam Griesel taking a smaller player into the post? Is it Tyree, Tyree Eady taking a small, smaller player into the post? Is it getting it to the freshman Nelson late in the game who has a bigger player on him and, and, and say, hey, go attack and, and, and either get to the line or finish? I think NDSU, do they have the go-to guy you know, maybe they, they don't have the Vinny Shahid go-to guy, but I think they have go-to schemes and they have the versatility to accomplish those go-to schemes. I, li- I like the way you put that. Because the, because of the group of guys they have, they're going to have a, an advantage, at least a major advantage, on one of the matchups on the floor. And it's on them to find the matchup and continue to hammer at it and exploit it. I think that's a really good idea. How many... You know, how many teams do you think go into Allen Fieldhouse and have the game tied at the end or be down by one game winning possession? And the 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 plan is to give the ball to the post player on the perimeter and it <laughs> yeah. work. It yeah. absolutely yep. worked. That's exactly yes, what we're did. talking about. They exploited those Kansas posts who have probably never been in that situation ever. And it caught him by surprise and it worked. He just missed the bunny. But like that's what I think we're going to see a lot of this year of is them just exploiting matchups rather than relying on one specific person. Agree. All right. So for our last two teams, we're not going to spend a ton of time. We've actually spent a lot of time on Oral Roberts and South Dakota State on the podcast. But number two, we have Oral Roberts. And I, I think at least for sure from Greg, he would put North Dakota state above them. Anything else to add on oral Roberts, as far as being number two, where do you guys think they'll finish? Um, Could they challenge South Dakota state? Well, I think, you know, them being two is just a facet of them probably having two of the better individual players in this conference. And, you know, they've seen some of the, the support players kind of buy into the role a little bit more, but it's more about kind of their ceiling. Um, now you do have to be concerned about the, their lack of ability to play in different ways. Um, but they, again, they have their angle. They don't have a lot of angles like NDSU, but they probably have their angle and it's about as good as anybody in this conference. So, um, we'll see, like they've, I I don't, I still don't know what to make. I don't know that what we've seen in this preseason, like answers our questions that we've had about this team and this program going back a couple of years. Right. So again, if you want to say that they're the third best team, well, I, I I can't really play the other side of that argument all that well because we know ultimately, you know, they haven't been able to answer that question yet, and they haven't been given the opportunity to. But it's um, you know, some of the other nice pieces, uh, Cream Thompson, uh, Shane Weaver, they, they're playing a little bit better. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited to watch them play though. They're going to be a, another fun team to watch. Uh, maybe frustrating at times, but they're going to be fun to watch. Hey, I'll, I'll keep it short. They'll always be entertaining. They're good enough offensively to win any game at any time in this league. My my question will always be with the game on the line, do they have the ability to sit down, defend people in the half court, 
and win a game, uh, win a lower possession game. So I'm uh, that's the challenge. They've got all the offensive weapons they need. Uh, my question is, can they defend in the half court when they really need to? Yeah, their defensive efficiency rating this year is still in the 200s. Um, so it's it's the same question. It's better than last year, but last year was 230s or something. Um, so that is still sort of the question. Um, number one, we have South Dakota State, and I'm going to start with a question um, because I think we're all in agreement that South Dakota State is still the clear favorite. Um, but one, we had a question from Twitter. So, Sophia Nichols asked, who is the most underrated player on South Dakota State? I, I'm going to go Alex Arians because I think he's the guy that um, when I look at when he started his career, I thought, well, here's the guy they threw in. They had to pick a fifth starter, so they threw Arians in there. And he was playing the three. I watched his morph into being the primary ball handler and decision maker and his offensive efficiency, his ability to make players around him better. I don't think people really appreciate how good this kid is and how much better he makes South Dakota State. So I'm going with Alex Arians. Seems like every team has that kid that, uh, you know, has the the undisputed uh, trust of his coach. And you just cannot take him off the court for any reason. And it's not necessarily going to show up in the, in the box score, but it'll probably show up in the win-loss column. The kid's a winner, makes all the right plays. Uh, trusted by his coach and his teammates, you know, I, I would have a hard time disagreeing with that. Um, just to give a second answer, I, I do think Baylor Sharman's, I think he's a little underrated. I, I, again, I think he's kind of the, he's kind of cut from the same class as Alex Arians as, as again, you know, he's focused on winning. He's not focused on scoring. His, his box scores are going to look different from game to game because he's basically, he does a good job, I think, reading the situation and understanding what they're trying to accomplish on offense and staying focused on that rather than his own game. And so whether that's him knocking down threes or him getting the ball into the post, what have you, I think both those two players do a really good job of focusing on the game plan and executing it, whatever the role may be. Zach, I just want to add one thing to what you said. I love what I love what you said. It's great to watch those kids. And we have a chance to watch, see this close up, who you know the coaches trust. They're on the floor, and sometimes there might be people in the stands going, why is that guy on the floor? Because he can't score or he can't make a play, but he's always in the right spot defensively. He's always making the right pass and the right decision. They earn the trust of the coach over the course of a season, over the course of a season of practices. I, I agree with you with Shireman. I, I only said Arians because I think Shireman came out, and, and everybody's looking at Shireman as one of the best players in the league right now. And yeah. I just think Arians continuously does it quietly behind the scenes. I always go back to this. Look at Jared Samuelson. What he did for NDSU, people will never appreciate how key he was to those two NCAA tournament runs that the North Dakota State made in the past two consecutive years. The kid was always in the right place defensively, and the kid always made the right pass and the right decision and had the ability to knock down the big shot. Both of those things are something that both Shireman and, and Arians bring to the floor for South Dakota State. And those attributes are so valuable because they're pretty hard to identify when you're recruiting a kid, right? Yeah. And yep. both those kids were, were not the highest rated recruits, um, but seeing how their career played out, they probably should have been, you know? And it's, it's, so it's, it's the, those traits are a little harder to identify, but when you get a kid, you hold on tight and you play them all the minutes that they can handle. 
All right. So we're going to finish up this episode by answering as many questions as we can for, we went to the fan boards for different teams and, and to Twitter for questions. I will handle the first three questions just because I got some answers from the summit league on them. Uh, the first one was from seal hall from the Western Illinois fan board. He was asking about with the possibility of canceled games this season, how will it figure into teams that both qualify for the tournament and their seed positions? And thank you to the summit league office. They did were able to get back to me on this. It is they're going with the 12 game total that the NCAA set up to be eligible. And then after that, it goes off of winning percentage in the, in the league, in league play. Uh, and I did not get as deep as into what if two teams have the same winning percentage, but if a team misses four games or what have you due to COVID protocols, they will still, as long as they get at that 12 game total, they will be qualified based on their winning percentage after that in league play. Uh, the second question that came from the Western Illinois fan board was from Leatherneck country. How will officials be handled? And it will be the same officials for both games at the same location that weekend. Um, the only difference would be if there is a positive COVID test, they, then they would replace that official. And, and I'm not exactly sure, sure on that process. I did not ask. Um, and then the third question that I got was from the North Dakota um, fan board from Nodak 651. How are they handling attendance this season? And this is up to the universities along with local and state regulations. So there is no specific summit league mandate on attendance um, as far as no fans or there should be fans or anything like that. It's just based on the universities and local and state regulations. Absolutely. Um, I'll just add on to that quick talk. You know, I know North Dakota State allowed a thousand fans for the UND at NDSU women's game. That's their intent right now. That's about 20% capacity or less than 20% capacity. And I think UND is, around, is either 400 or 600 fans. And, and that may change depending on how the numbers are. And so I, I, I'm completely in agreement with you. It really comes down to university and state regulations and community regulations. Uh, I'll go to the next question. Will it hurt the Summit League having three to four solid teams and three to four bad teams? Do you agree with the question that this is what the Summit has? I'll just say, yeah, that might be what they have, and no, it's not going to hurt them. They're a single bid league. makes no difference whatsoever. Yeah, I really don't know, you know, in terms of hurting them. I don't know, like, what that what that means. Um, but it, I, I think it's fair to say maybe a different way of looking at that is, like, I, I do think the league is a little down this year. I think it's a little; they're a little bit more vulnerable. A lot of these teams are a little bit more vulnerable than in the years past, um, and I think that's because they're, you know, it's a relatively young league. Um, yeah. So it should make for a more fun league in terms of there's a lot more intrigue. The last couple of years have played out pretty well, straightforward, um, you know, and by the book. This year it may not be that it may not be that way. So we may see a lot more churn in terms of the standings. And the next question we have, I'm hoping both of you guys have an answer on this one. Who is your non-conference MVP and maybe a couple of players that you'd put on the non-conference all-conference? Well, I'll just jump in quick. Um, based on individual performances in some big games at key times, I'm still going to go with Noah Friedel. The kid has shown that he has the ability as long as he can stay on the court, and I'm not going to say any more than that. As long as he can stay on the court, the kid is one of the most explosive players this league has ever seen. And I will also say, I do think um, the Summit League may be down a little bit. I do like what North Dakota State can become. 
And I also think that South Dakota State is one of the most complete teams I've seen in this league in a long time. If, if Wilson is healthy and Friedel's on the court and all their other pieces are as well, I think they're an extremely, extremely good basketball team. Uh, bar none. And I'll bring up Max Smith just because I think he gets a little less coverage uh, in our region and just make sure that everybody's aware of the things that he's doing against the highest level of competition. Uh, he's had some just absolute monster games. He's the type of player. He's going to be the unquestioned best point guard in this league. Um, and he's going to be a big problem for any team that that plays against Oral Roberts. I think Kev, Kevin O'Banner may be one of the better players, but Max Asmus is going to be a big, big problem. The defensive game plan for every team is probably going to start with Max Asmus. Well, and since it's just non-conference, if it were the, the entirety of the season, I, I tend to lean towards a player on the team that finishes higher. Um, but just based on pure individual statistics, I'd go with Stanley Amude. Um, especially after, I don't think I would have said that until that South Dakota State game. But to watch him carry that game, I, I would go with him. Good addition. All right, so we won't go into uh, all, we practically named off an all-conference team by all going with different people. Um, so I'll go to the next um, question. And I'm going to skip. We had a few North Dakota State questions. I will just, I gave an update on Hitty Rosink as best as I've heard. He's been out the last few games and nothing really new on that. Um, and then there was a question about, this was specific to South Dakota State, but I think every team could could uh, say the same. Many teams were unable to schedule non-conference home games. Was this COVID? Was it because there was no pl- fans? Or was it just that scramble and um, that, that we had because of COVID. Uh, I think it was primarily COVID, uh, you know, cause they, if they would have had some probably even lower level games uh, to at least get some home games, but you know, pretty much every team went back to, to, to scratch with their schedule and had to put it together quickly. And it's, that's much more difficult than it sounds. And so they were really scrambling this year. I think a lot of teams were taking what they can get and, um, it also comes down to what you can budget too. Cause I mean, if you can pay a team to come in, that's, that's one thing, but if you can't, and you need to schedule home and homes that that's much difficult when all your future schedules are also getting made. So um, primarily COVID uh, it's unfortunate, but we're done with it and we're moving on. Yeah. I'll disagree. 99.9% COVID it was on the fly. And I think actually the summer league did a heck of a job of, of finding a way to get some quality games. Could be, could have been worse. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I, I don't have any disagreement. They just did what they had to do. I will go back quick as, as we get close to wrapping up. We had talked a podcast or two ago about that tournament idea that that we started throwing around. I started doing some numbers and put uh, an article on the website. Even in the in the non conference portion, mid major leagues would be so it would do them so much good to start working together to get home and homes, whether it be a full challenge like the horizon league summit league challenge, or just knowing these two Missouri Valley teams are, are really highly thought of to start the year. So are these two summit league teams, let's get a home and home with, with those teams together. The more they can work together, the better chance, um, whether it be NIT opportunities or NCAA tournament, or just, in general, helping the league to get quality games to get their teams ready, it, it really feels like something mid-major conferences need to take control of on their own, or they're going to 
you know, have the same complaints 10 years from now that we've had for years going forward. Well, I just can't imagine the sigh of relief that would be emanating out of every single AD's office when, say, four to six of their 12 to 13 non-conference games uh, are already agreed upon, and it's against a light competition, and it's done in a very uh, budget-conscious manner. Uh, it just it checks all the boxes. It makes all the sense in the world. Um, I, I think even I, I read some article today about Stanford Pentagon really just kind of reviewing what they were able to do this year in terms of the games that they were able to hold there in the in the Gonzaga game and and uh, the, the the Dakota Classic things like that all very well received by the teams that are there you know I think the, the hesitation for some of these teams is all well, this is South Dakota but everybody's finding out that hey this makes a lot of sense and it's a very efficient way to get things done let's do more of it and it sounds like there's more discussion I don't want to get my hopes up yet but it's trending in the right direction that there's going to be more and more of that all right I just completely agree anything they can do to find a way to, to improve you know strength of schedule all all of the factors late in the season would be great especially you know preseason would be would, would be helpful too um, I'm in favor of any of those things and I think conference commissioners and administrations need to be extremely proactive in that area. Well, with that, we will wrap up this week's episode. I do want to end with just saying, you know, we're, we're about 10 episodes in and this started as an idea at the, in the summer. And I just want to thank the eight people that write for our website and the two of you and all the fans that interact on Twitter and different places like that, the summit league office for reaching out and saying any questions, let us know. We hope this continues to grow into something bigger and better. And uh, again, just a spotlight for the Summit League, which deserves that spotlight. Uh, we will keep putting out content on the website and keep doing the best we can on these podcasts. And, and I'm especially excited that with the fan boards, I had to narrow down the questions because I know we'd only have about 15 minutes, but we'll keep reaching out to you guys. We appreciate it helps us think of things we would have never thought to talk about and dig a little deeper on, including some questions that we got this week. So just thank you to everybody for helping this become what it has already become. Yeah. We really appreciate all the feedback and input that everybody's been given. Cause like we've, like we said from the start, this isn't about us. This is about the Summit League. This is about these programs and these players and just kind of shining a light on them and having to, to, a chance to talk about something that we're all passionate about and really enjoy. So thank you guys for the forum. Thank you for the support. We're going to continue to try to do what we can to, to have a lot of fun with this. I'll echo those sentiments. Um, and thank you, Todd, for what you do. You've, you're the one that kind of started this whole thing, put this all together. Yes, Zach, who is extremely qualified, and and then I think you asked about nine other people and settled on me. And I appreciate <laughs> being a part of this. That's not true. But, but well, <laughs> but it, no, either way, I'm grateful. But thank you to those writers. I love their passion, and thank you to the fans, those who comment and have questions. Uh, that's what makes this awesome. And and uh, so I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, next time we talk, there's going to be some conference games under the belt or close to it, and uh, I I'll, I'll really look forward to talking about those. All right. Take care, everybody, and see you next week.